Well, I'm delighted to have with me today Milti Krasavkis from uh, Drashta Impact. Thank you, Milti, for joining us. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be here. We've known each other for a while, and I know you've been um, working on Drashta Impact for a while because you're trying to do something quite innovative and quite unique to bring more capital into impact. But before we kind of dive into that, I'd like to know a bit about where this kind of came from. So can you start with, you know, how how you graduated? I know you were doing chemical engineering, so it's quite right. quite a jump to the world of finance. So tell us a bit about your early life and 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 um, how you how you ended up into moving into this space. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, as you said, I studied chemical engineering in Sydney. And interestingly, I never saw myself pursuing it professionally afterwards, uh, strangely enough. So the, the first half of my degree, I saw myself pursuing music afterwards. I play guitar and piano and wanted to switch to a, a double degree with music. And then in the second half of the degree, kind of 08, 09, uh, the financial crisis hit and I figured it would be a good time to learn and educate myself around investing and trading. Uh, the only thing I knew at that time was buy low, sell high. So <laughs> um, I thought it would be worthwhile to really dive into it. So I was fortunate enough to have my um, kind of go under the wing of my godfather at the time, who uh, I realize now manages his own family office and basically trades and invests professionally. So what I really appreciate about the kind of learnings he gave me is beyond, you know, a list of say 10 stocks to look at and a good price to get in. He showed me actually how to research the you know, fundamentals and technical analysis and, and all of that kind of thing. And from there, I was kind of hooked and wanted to crack the code of the markets and really dive into it. So it was at that point I knew, you know, that's what I really wanted to pursue. I was passionate about it. I uh, did a couple of internships following or through the degree and, and afterwards in one in private banking at National Australia Bank, uh, one on the global markets team at Deutsche Bank, and really got kind of a sense of the markets and, you know, from, a, I guess, institutional perspective, which was really helpful. But in the end, actually just ended up, I wanted to trade for myself. So I uh, was doing that for a while, which evolved into allocating to other traders and money managers to diversify. Interestingly, for the first you know, year, year and a half, all of them without fail would end up losing money, uh, even if they were doing well at first. And I guess I, I would say that's the, those were the kind of beginnings of the understanding of the, the importance of risk management and you know, that if you can take care of the downside, the upside will take care of itself. So obviously very unrelated or from indirectly to what we're focused on now, but having gone through that process and then, you know, becoming regulated and working with outside capital, we always tested the strategies with internal capital first. And, you know, basically the, the metaphor that I imagined in my mind is that, you know, we you know worked with all of the ones that didn't work initially. And it was as if we'd walked through a minefield and, you know, having explosions and everything going off and getting to the other side with our, you know, hair on fire and eyebrows burnt off and handing over the <laughs> kind of finished product so that they, you know, investors could get the benefits of, you know, the, the ones that worked and, you know, having that, that de-risked approach without having to kind of take on those, you know, punches as it were. So learned a lot about, again, basically everything that could possibly go wrong, all of the ways to lose money in the markets, which is, again, a value, valuable educational experience, but also the the power of portfolio optimization and diversification with mathematically and how that models out, which I, I saw was you know, really powerful. So 
uh, fast forward a couple of years and got to the point where you know things became quite consistent and was projecting forward around okay well you know what would I you know kind of sparked a personal journey what would I want to do with building up that scale of capital and wealth over the course of decades and was quite inspired by what Bill Gates and Warren Buffett had done in terms of generating a lot of wealth and doing something positive in the world and I found that super motivating for maybe about three to four months and then realized that the idea of doing something good in, you know, 30 to 40 years time, one felt really disconnected from, you know, where I was at the time, but also the fact that the challenges that we faced in the world were here today and needed to be addressed within the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years, not 30 to 40 years. So I was speaking to a mentor about it and, you know, he said, well, you know, why don't you start from now? What, what are you waiting for? And I explained like, no, you don't understand. I need to make the money first and, and generate this wealth. And then I can start doing something good. But, you know, he pushed back with a, a couple of simple questions. It's like, well, you know, how could you start? What could you be doing from now? And it sparked this realization that you know, the capital already existed. It didn't need to be my capital per se, but if there was a way to kind of pull the right levers and channel capital into you know businesses technologies projects that could create a positive impact you know one that could be a, a bigger scale than any kind of amount of wealth that any one person could have but secondly it would also you know i i was excited about the fact that i could start from now basically or at that time so that basically started my journey uh, in the impact investment space. I, you know, a friend from university told me about microfinancing and I, I liked the idea of using capital and investing it to uh, do something positive and then discovered there was actually a whole uh, space. I mean, the, the industry at the time was quite nascent compared to now, but having these use cases and, and examples of how uh, I could use my existing skill set to be able to do something positive in the world, uh, I found really exciting. So fast forward a few years, I, I moved to London from Sydney and really started the beginnings of uh, what, what is now Drash to Impact. So that's kind of the story of how I ended up uh, doing what I'm doing now. Wow, the, the mentorship part is actually very important, I think, because, um, yeah, those are those are really profound questions. I think we all feel like we need to get our own house in order before we can do something sometimes. And... But actually, I think what, what it did was sort of make it coalesce into thinking, well, hold on, are these things, is it sort of, um, you know, a case where you, you, you do well and then you, you give back or, or is there a way you can actually do well whilst also giving back like with your core business? So that's quite an interesting transition or in mindset more than anything else really isn't it no definitely i, I think a lot of people are still I, I guess i was fortunate enough to have an outside voice uh cha challenge that and it is the traditional approach you know people think of the famous I guess, philanthropists as the you know billionaires or people that have done well and then at, it's at that point where they start to think of how they can give back i, I found it find it interesting the wording around that that giving back almost it implies that you've taken something in the first place. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Whereas if you, you know, the model and approach and mindset that people are, are more getting into and, and becoming aware of now is that you can, as you said, integrate you know, impact and a positive angle to what you're, you're doing from now, whether it's from a business perspective or in your actual um, you know, profit-making investments as well. So how did you go about this? You, you obviously had experience and success with... Um you know, drash to capital and, and your transition over to the UK and, and, you know, work there. How did you approach this problem? And, and what are you trying to solve for? 
Yeah, I, I think it was quite interesting in terms of the, the quite a unique approach and was, I guess, fortunate not to, in a sense, come from a big institution that I would say a lot of them have taken a reactive approach to the rise of impact investing, where the private bank or existing private equity or venture firm, you know, have, have seen this trend and momentum and said, you know, well, maybe we should jump on or they have their clients coming to them saying, we want impact investment products. What can you offer us? And they, you know, package something together so that they don't lose clients. The unique approach that I got to take was having a blank canvas, uh, was able to start rather than just using traditional models and approaches was to say, okay, well, if we could purpose build a structure to address the grand challenges we face in the world, you know, what would that structure be? Uh, what strategy would we take? What themes would we focus on? And working backwards from that end resolution, you know, looking at the the world we want to live in, and then the challenges that we face that are in the way. And, you know, the, I guess the scale of the challenges we face on a global scale, realizing, okay, well, we're going to need to mobilize a lot of capital, you know, much more than is currently going to the space. Mm-hmm. So then the step before that, you know, taking a solutions-based approach was, okay, well, what needs to be in place to address that or, or rather what's holding back that flow of capital and kind of identifying these key bottlenecks at a systemic level around i mean the, the three that we really uh, that just kept coming up time and time again from the you know thousands of conversations that we've had over the years between you know myself personally and, and the broader team the number one without a doubt is concerns around investment risk so it's easy to allocate to an impact investment, but you know, am I going to get my capital back? Uh, the second that we found coming up, especially for private market investments, is when am I going to get my capital back? Is it you know for a, a, a venture opportunity? There's obviously no, uh, in most cases, no clear exit uh, already factored in. Uh, even for fund investments, it, it could be a ten-year lock-in with you know nothing coming in in the meantime, which for a lot of investors. Uh, is a, a long-term horizon. So, you know, between those two and then the third is, you know, how do you actually source and diligence these, you know, breakthrough technologies that most private investors don't have the capacity or know how to, to be able to do that. And what ends up happening is that there's this intention to want to allocate to impact, um, but when it actually comes down to it, you know, there's a lot of resistance and, and reservation and, and a lot of it, you know, rightfully so. You know, in, investors, if it's a new field or new area for them, what I've come to realize is it's not reasonable to expect them to, you know, quote unquote, do the right thing uh, if they're, you know, not comfortable with the level of risk or from an advisor, investment advisor's perspective, uh, or, you know, pension fund manager, they have a fiduciary responsibility to their clients or beneficiaries to not uh, take excessive risks or, or do things they're uncomfortable with. So it's not really feasible to, or reasonable to expect them to do that. So our thinking was, well, if we could, you know, systematically work through any excuse or hesitation reservation that an investor would have not to move forward with something, you know, what would really be holding them back from aligning their capital with their values? So that's, you know, effectively what we've been doing in an iterative and uh, evolutionary way over the past few years is you know, building solutions exactly for those uh, pain points and bottlenecks that we observe. So just at a high level on the risk side, we've built a tool that enables investors to still allocate to specific investments that either they source or, or we bring to the table uh, with tailored downside protection. So again, they can kind of take concerns around investment risk off the table by reducing the risk on their allocation and still funding a particular impact investment. Uh, on the 
you know, concerns around illiquidity and being locked into something for too long. We're rolling out a liquidity solution at the moment that will involve a listing uh, on a regulated exchange so people can invest in a particular impact investment and know that they can uh, get their capital back separate to an exit from the underlying investment. And then, of course, on the due diligence and investment sourcing side, uh, if, if investors don't have that capacity or capability on their side, we also have uh, deal flow opportunities that not only we can curate for investors, but can also uh, provide a layer of due diligence on that as well. So you know, when the dust settles, and again, I guess, you know, we didn't have all this on day one, it's been a iterative approach of engaging with investors, listening to their concerns, their, you know, uh, you know the, the, the different things that were holding them back and really seeing what we could um, you know, how could we could work alongside them to empower them to unlock their impact yeah and uh, I can vouch for that because we've had many many a conversation over the last couple of years but it's kind of a long process and it's quite quite a tricky journey but it does feel a bit like once you get the formula right and once uh, you kind of are able to strike uh, you, you will end up with you know, quite significant numbers of investors and with a model that actually can can do what you're proposing, which is catalyze more investment into impact because you've addressed the underlying issues. And I think a lot of times it's very easy to build a financial product or something or, or, or with, the, with the intention of it being great, but not really based on the core requirements of a customer. So I think going this route is the way to go because at the end of the day, for something to get popular, you need you need to have something that is really wanted and, and does address those core needs that aren't currently being met by the market. So tell me a little bit more about, you know, how will Drashta impact essentially bring more capital in by doing some of these things? What you've got different types of finance that's being applied into into impact. You've got you know, people like me at the very early venture stage, you've got bonds, green bonds, etc. You've got all kinds of capital players who are trying to align and understand how better to deploy capital and finance for good. But how can you blend these or how can you work with these things to create a solution that is going to give your investors what they need and and uh, facilitate more uh, grassroots investment into, into the kind of solutions that are going to help us with the climate crisis and, and, and other challenges? Yeah, great question. And I think what, what's been interesting for us in terms of the feedback we're getting in terms of use cases, um, I'll give you an example that you know we've been engaging with a number of impact investment communities and, and networks with the idea of integrating our solutions into the community. In, in other words, making the tools available so that you know their members and community can uh, integrate these solutions into their you know, impact investment process as a kind of drop-in enhancement. And you know the obvious use case is someone new to impact investing or starting their journey can, um, rather than dipping their toes in the water over the course of a few years, can uh, be able to move forward in a more meaningful way uh, while still having uh, you know capital preservation and peace of mind around that. But what what was interesting in terms of the kind of feedback and exciting use cases that they identified was, well, actually, this could be even more interesting or as interesting for those who are already 100% committed to impact and all in. And the reason for that, you know, even for people that have 100% of their portfolio allocated impactfully, is that they're still taking the traditional asset allocation approach where you have you know, the spectrum of risk on the one hand, you know, like you said, kind of green bonds, um, you know, say fixed income, maybe public equities with a uh, kind of ESG slash impact lens, 
uh, real estate. And then on the um, I guess higher risk end of the spectrum, you'll have maybe you know private equity, um, so I guess real assets to the middle, and then venture and direct deals. And what we were noticing is that you know there's a spectrum of risk, but there's also a spectrum of impact creation and additionality. And what we noticed was this correlation between uh, risk and impact in that the lower risk, uh, I guess, investments and, and assets were typically also lower impact in terms of you know, how, how catalytic they were you know, per, say, dollar um, or you know, amount of capital allocated. And the kind of, uh, I guess, breakthrough or the in innovation that we bring to the space in, is fed back to us, interestingly, is that we break that correlation. And, you know, we were explaining our, our solution and, and it was kind of fed back to us saying, so wait a second, basically what you're saying is you can enable me as an investor to create high impact, to be catalytic while still having the boring <laughs> risk profile or say, the risk profile of the more boring end of the spectrum. So you know, for instance, having the assurance that you would investing in a green bond or something of similar risk profile, but the catalytic impact that you would then have uh, allocating to a more, um, to, you know, typically riskier investment at, you know, either on a direct basis or, you know, early stage venture fund. And I think that's where it's exciting. It's not just new capital, you know, we always talk about more capital having to come into the space, but even, you know, what's considered currently allocated to impact, if we can move that across the spectrum so that that's being allocated more impactfully, even that can really move the needle considerably. Yeah. So essentially, if a venture fund, um, you know, is, is raising for, you know, impact, uh, impact investments in a specific uh, SDG or, or something along those lines, let's say to uh, reduce biodiversity loss or, or, or those kind of things, the investor might actually be able to get a better risk profile, overall risk profile is what you're suggesting by channeling capital through Drash to Impact rather than directly with that investor. Is, is that correct? Correct. And interestingly, what we're seeing is that investors typically aren't looking to replace their existing allocation approach. So mm -hmm. you know, if there's a growth stage company that they want to fund and put say, a million dollars into that, uh, it's not that they'll say, well, you know, maybe they'll then want to put a portion of that through our model, but where we're really seeing interest is, okay, you know, that's the amount coming from our venture bucket. We're happy to take all the risk and gain all the upside. But if there's a way for us to actually allocate, you know, and create additional impact without having direct risk exposure, then we can now, you know, add another three to 4 million to that allocation, multiply our impact without taking direct risk exposure to that. And I think that's where you kind of get that multiplier effect. And, you know, as we were building this out, we realized, you know, when it comes to, you know, actually allocating to investments and creating impact, I guess this is less relevant in um, like more traditional investments where you just have the kind of risk and return dimensions. But, you know, when it comes to impact, if you want to fund a particular investment, say it's a growth stage company that has a breakthrough climate technology, an investor wants to back that technology. They want to see it, you know, progress and, and be rolled out in the world. And the way to currently do that is they allocate capital to that company. And as it stands, the only thing that company can give them back is equity, you know, shares. I mean, it could be debt, but, you know, traditionally it's equity in that company, which from the investor's perspective is, you know, maybe 
they want to fund the company, but they would want, they would prefer to have something a bit more secure or, or robust or liquid back. So effectively, the, the transformation we're able to create is, you know, imagine hypothetically, you were able to allocate capital to a specific company, fund or project, create the impact, but instead of getting back you know, equity or you know, shares or, or debt in that particular opportunity, you receive back you, know, you put a million dollars in, you get a million dollars, you know, for example, of US treasuries or you know, government bonds or Apple bonds that are AAA rated, for instance. You're creating the same impact, but you know that what you're getting back is and um, what you're holding as an asset is something that gives you full assurance that your capital is preserved, plus that you'll be able to exit it at some point because there's a, a market around that. So not to say that we're at the level of... US government or Apple in terms of uh, opposite, but we can actually structure it in a way that we can integrate uh, investment grade bonds and provide that level of downside protection as it stands. Yeah. So that's, and the that's because you've uh, and you're able to do that on uh, because you're aggregating capital for lots of opportunities and uh, you have a big capital pool or, or, or other instruments. Yeah, so it, it's a combination of models. So we, uh, on, on the one hand, the, the closest analogy or, or parallel that we share with people to conceptualize it is that we're providing a form of impact investment insurance. Um, mm -hmm. Not technically, but in the sense that we provide investors with a way to have preservation on their initial outlay in return for foregoing some of their upside. So that's the quote unquote premium that they pay in order for them mm -hmm. to then have protection on their initial capital. So Again, you can allocate to a specific opportunity. A portion of that can be on a direct basis where you have all of the upside and all of the downside. But through our model, you can have assurance that you'll get your initial capital back plus a minimum baseline return, a share of the surplus upside, but you forego some of that upside in return for having that protection. So it allows you basically to transform the risk and blend downside protection and upside participation. And that's the bit that can help really drive more capital into the space because the, it's it's at the moment either in the too hard basket with the the capital providers you're talking to, or right. I think we all used to investing in what we know, right? They, the, I think one of the mantras of investing is, you know, if you don't understand something, you shouldn't be investing in it. And um, so no one's very keen to be taking new steps into new investment categories without having pretty guaranteed downside protections or, or assurances there. So I think if you're able to decouple that, decouple the those kind of risk reward profile or allow cust um, your customers to essentially tweak things in a way that looks great for them, but also provides the assurances they need, then we probably will see a lot more capital coming in. Is there anything else like this? I mean, are you copying um, uh, something that already <laughs> exists? Is there a party or how, how did you engineer this? Yeah, I mean, I think by virtue of the fact asking uh, that, that everyone asks us, is anyone else doing this, including people deeply ingrained in the space? <laughs> um, I think we are kind of paving new ground in that regard. I think what's interesting is that you know, I guess some of the approaches, you know, I guess like the insurance model obviously has, has been around forever. But I, I think what's interesting is the impact dimension uh, calls for a need for de-risking more so than other, uh, I guess, more traditional asset classes, I would say. And we ha we're having an interesting discussion as I was um, outlining our model to a uh, investment platform based in London, uh, look, again, looking to integrate our solutions into uh, investments on their platform related to impact. And, you know, basically was outlining how we take a 
effectively you know high risk you know higher return opportunity reduce the risk but also you know the return uh, decreases a little along the way as well and he said back well i don't get it why would you why would you go to all the trouble of taking a high risk high return investment and decreasing you know putting it through your model when you could an investor could just allocate directly to say real estate or or fixed income and just get the lower risk lower return profile and interestingly on on a purely risk to reward uh risk and reward basis what we're doing doesn't really make sense it's just a, a lot of effort to kind of create you know synthetically something that already exists in terms of other asset classes right but where it gets interesting is when you bring in the impact dimension and that correlation that i touched on earlier is being able to allocate to high impact catalytic breakthrough opportunities and, and technology solutions with that lower risk so so to your point i think it it's not something you know, maybe there are variations of it in the traditional space, but I think the real use case and value of it comes uh, in the impact space. And a practical use case that we were discussing with the group is that uh, they've been engaging a, an endowment in the U.S. who, you know, when you think of foundations, endowments and you know, mm-hmm. philanthropic capital, it's already been set aside, you know, for the good of society. It's meant to be allocating impactfully. And they were trying to convince the um wealth manager or investment advisor on that endowment to you know exactly what we spoke about earlier take some of their lower impact investments and reallocate them into higher impact investments and the proposal that they gave to them you know they put it forward and the advisor came back and said look you know these investments are you know truly impactful and groundbreaking but they are higher risk than where we've currently got that capital set aside so we can't get it past our investment committee you know, because capital preservation is the kind of top priority on our side. So that the group we were speaking with was really excited to kind of have, the, you know, the tools we can provide in their back pocket to go back to that conversation and say, well, actually, there's a way to, uh, you know, without increasing the risk profile on, or, you know, or exceeding your risk parameters on, on your side, we can now increase the impact creation potential on that front. So for groups that have, you know, that are either philanthropically minded or who, you know, institutions or pension funds that have made capital commitments to climate and impact, worth mentioning, Mm -hmm. for instance, the Climate Investment Coalition, who, uh, you know, mainly comprise of um, Scandinavian pension funds who have collectively committed $136 to climate investments by the end of this decade. So six and a half years left for them to get a lot of capital out the door uh, for climate investments. And obviously being pension funds have fiduciary responsibilities and uh, are risk averse investors. So again, there's a huge kind of tidal wave of capital waiting uh, to come into appropriately kind of secured uh, climate related investments with the right uh, you know mechanisms and things like that. So it's really exciting, and I think we're we're kind of at the right place in the right time. And uh, is the current market conditions a help or a hindrance in that journey? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I guess with um, you know everything going on in the world, uh, people tend to you know when there's uncertainty, people tend to kind of hold back um, in terms of making new investments mm-hmm. or, or trying new things. But in the context of what we've put together, it actually becomes more relevant that. You know, we still need to address the climate crisis mm. and other, you know, existential crises that we face. There's still, and you know, the, the climate tech space and and clean tech investments are still thriving. The technologies are still there, and the demand is there. So 
I would say, interestingly, it's, if anything, the idea of downside protection and capital preservation is more on people's mind than before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess when, when everything's going well, the markets are going up, everything's okay in the world, people, I guess, <laughs> maybe forget or risk becomes less you know, top of mind. It's almost like if everything will just keep going up forever. So now is definitely not one of those times where we've got you know a bunch of things happening all at once. So it's very top of mind. But at the same time, you know, to be able to allocate, again, from an investor's perspective to say, okay, I I want to fund this project uh, or technology or or get behind this fund. For for me as an investor to be able to do that and know that my capital will be secured and that I'm not locked in for the next 10 years, at which point I won't know where the world is in, where the world is at in terms of whether we'll have a new pandemic, Mm -hmm. a new war, everything like that. If anything gives them peace of mind, it's kind of a, a safe way to to really kind of move the needle without you know i guess people biting off more they can, they, they, than they can chew or, or taking more risk than they're comfortable with yeah i i admire what the, the solution that you've come up with milty because it, it really is quite innovative and unique i haven't seen anyone doing it uh, to, to your point earlier and it really deserves to uh, to have its moment particularly with the market conditions as, as you were pointing out what's next like what, what are you trying to get done right now and who should reach out to you if um if they're listening to this yeah, I think what's really exciting about a suite of solutions is that it is highly collaborative, that we know we can't do everything. No organization can uh, do everything or, or solve things single-handedly. So we're all about collaboration. And what we really like about our model is that it, it can support the different stakeholders in, in the space. So from an investor's perspective, again, it's a, a suite of solutions and tools that enhance their existing processes, whether it's investment allocations they're currently considering making that they could reduce the risk on, increase liquidity access, have an additional layer of due diligence from outside, uh, from the perspective of investees. So, you know, whether it's funds, companies or projects securing capital that's obviously subject to our approval and due diligence on our side, uh, we, we work with investees raising capital to actually you know, wrap their capital raise with our solution so that as they engage with investors, they, you know, if anyone comes back and says, which every group peers, you know, we love what you're doing, it's highly impactful, but it's too risky for us, it's too early stage, uh, there's no liquidity that they can say, well, actually, you know, we've partnered with Drafter, they can help you find a way to move forward securely. Uh, and then the third piece would be, uh, I would say, in broad terms, kind of intermediaries or, or groups that facilitate uh, the connection between, you know, capital and opportunities that we can help bridge that gap and remove any of the friction points or pain points that investors face. So, yeah, it, it's really, I mean, the way that we see it is we're giving impact investors superpowers to be able to create more impact and, and know that, you know, they'll be okay at the end of the day, that they're not going to lose their shirts and, um, you know, uh, experience losses or um, take more risk than they need to because they can structure it in a way from the outset where they know they've got that downside protection built in. And and you'll work with first-time funds as well on that? Yes. So, uh, again, pending our due diligence and if we get comfort around their you know, prior experience and capabilities that we can, uh, we can assess those as well. That's awesome. So, I mean, that's a massive one. Um, it's really hard to to get first time funds off the ground often. So, so um, I think the fact you you'll look at that as well is, is really meaningful. So, 
look, I've really enjoyed the chat. I know your product is reasonably technical and um, you, you, you can take people through it and explain it to them one-on-one. It probably doesn't work great, so I won't dive further into that. And I think you've given a great impression of what you're trying to get done here, which is essentially provide a product that de-risks um, impact investment for all kinds of participants and, and catalyzes more capital into the space. So it's a very noble and worthwhile cause and hopefully one that's um, also very revenue generative for uh, Drafta and all the parties um, partaking in it. So thank you so much for for joining me, Milty. I've really enjoyed the chat and um, thanks for explaining, uh, explaining Drashta Impact. Yeah, likewise, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks again, Raf.